Well, good morning, Gateway family. It is great to see you as we get into the Christmas season. It's almost Christmas. We're grateful we get to gather together and worship the Lord. I know that many in our church family are struggling with sickness this week and this weekend. And for those who are at home sick, know we're praying for you. And if we can help with anything, please let us know. Just a few announcements as we begin this morning. It is Christmas week, so there's several opportunities still for you this week. This Wednesday night, our Gingerbread House Fellowship. It was supposed to have been last Wednesday, but we rescheduled it because of the storms coming through. So if you're in town this Wednesday evening, we'd love for you to come. This is for all ages. This is not just a kids' event. This is to bring the whole church body together. So whether you're young, whether you're a senior adult, whether whatever stage of life you're in, we'd love for you to join us Wednesday night, 6 p.m. in the gymnasium. We already have the Gingerbread Houses pre-built for you. So it's a chance just to decorate them and fellowship together. It's a fun evening and hope you can join us this Wednesday at 6 o'clock. The next weekend is Christmas weekend. We love the celebrations we have together. So next next Saturday, or this upcoming Saturday evening, 5 p.m., Christmas Eve, is our annual carols, communion, and candlelight. There's no sermon at this one. We sing Christmas carols together. We hear the scriptures read. We celebrate communion. And we end singing two songs to candlelight as we close out the evening. It's about a 45, 15-minute service for the whole family. There's no child care, but young kids are welcome with you as well. So I hope you'll come and celebrate Christmas Eve with us. And then that Sunday morning is Christmas Day. So yes, we are gathering again. We are going to meet to celebrate the Lord on Christmas Day morning. There's nothing else on campus besides the worship service that morning. So Christmas Day, just come at 1030 if you're in town. And we're going to celebrate the Lord together on Christmas Day. Day. Now, two other things I want to mention this morning. First of all, for this evening at 5 o'clock, we have a special fellowship time to say thank you to Seth and Megan. As you heard last week, Seth is uh, taking a break from being an elder after 10 years of serving in that capacity. He and Megan are still going to be serving with the Hopes Ministry to the schools and still hosting the College Life Group. But we want to say thank you to them for 10 years of faithful service and all they've done in so many ways. And that's 5 p.m. today here in the sanctuary. We'll have donuts, we'll have coffee, and a chance just to fellowship together, but say thank you guys for all you've done and look forward to that time together tonight. So I hope you'll all come back tonight at five. Now, lastly, I want to introduce one more new family that are members of the church. They were not here when we introduced new members a few weeks ago. So the Pogue family, you guys come on down. So this is Brad and Kayla and their son Seth. You guys come on up here to the front. So, so Brad is from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Kayla is from Rome, Georgia. They met in high school and married after college. They're both graduates of Barry College. Kayla's a homemaker, and so she's homeschooling Seth there and his teacher. And then Brad is a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. He teaches at the Air Command and Staff College. As you know, each, each time we introduce new families, I ask them to tell us something about themselves so you can get to know them. And I love what they said. They said, we are a reading family, and I like that. So they said, whenever we can, we, we enjoy reading, we enjoy traveling and camping in our travel trailer. And if you don't know it yet, Brad is taking seminary classes when he retires from the Air Force. He wants to go into full-time ministry, from, and so he's doing his seminary studies at Shepherd's Theological Seminary in North Carolina. So welcome to you guys. We're so thankful God has brought you out of Gateway. And for those who are visiting Gateway who want to pursue membership, our next membership class will be in February. It's called the Foundations Class. You can find details on our website at gatewaybaptist.com under news and events. Well, as we prepare to worship the Lord this morning, we want to do our Advent candle lighting and scripture reading. So Ron and Dorita Burt, come on up here. Ron is one of our deacons. These are longtime friends I knew long before I even came to Gateway. And so we're thankful for you guys and your love for the Lord and your ministry in so many different ways. But they're going to read scripture for us and light our Advent candle. John 3.16, for 
God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 1 John 4, 7 through 12, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I'll stand with us as Gary sing this one. is worthy 
blessing we give.
Give the Lord the applause he deserves. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of that shout. As we declare your glory and your praises this morning, God, we celebrate the incarnation. God, we celebrate your coming. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is an astounding fact. And Lord, we praise you for that this morning. We worship you as our King, as our Lord, as our Savior, the one who rescues, the one who saves. And Lord, it's just amazing to think that without the incarnation, we don't have the resurrection. We don't have the ascension. We don't have your power and authority without you first coming. And so, God, we thank you. Lord, we celebrate and thank you for your love this morning, that we are recognizing and just the amazing grace and love that you have for us, that sacrificial love that we get to share with you, that we get to experience with you, and then share and experience with others. What a glorious truth. 
So we thank you this morning that we can come and worship our King, the one who is good and just and faithful and holy. Well, we just pray and ask that you continue to move among us this morning. If there's some there this morning that don't know this love, haven't experienced this love, haven't experienced this amazing intimate relationship with you, God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would make yourself known to them this morning. You would draw them. You would convict them. You'd bring them to a place of repentance that they would see the beauty of your love and the grace that you offer freely that they just can receive and trust in you. And Lord, we thank you that that same love and grace and joy we experience, Lord, is why we come faithfully every week to submit these prayers to you and we acknowledge and have confidence and trust that you're good and faithful. Lord, we thank you for many in our Gateway family that are going to be traveling and going out of town in different places with family and friends, and we just pray your protection over them this week. We pray, Lord, that each one of us in this room is we're experiencing um, intimate moments with family and friends and some that may not know you, God, that we would recognize these amazing moments of opportunity to be salt and light, to represent your kingdom, to be gospel-centered, to recognize the opportunity this week, Lord, to share our faith and to display and demonstrate that love that we've experienced with you. What a wonderful moment we can do this week, God, to celebrate the season of Christmas and, Lord, just to be your representative in that way. Lord, for many in our body who are not here this morning and are sick, with many illnesses going around, we pray, God, for your healing power to touch them today. Those that are watching at home and many that couldn't be here, we pray in the name of Jesus, you are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. We pray you would touch those in our body, give them strength, make them whole so they can experience this week with their families and be able to enjoy your presence and with them as well. And Lord, as we celebrate love this morning and who you are, we thank you for the Montgomery Baptist Association's Ministry of Love Loud Montgomery and Donna McCullough. We thank you, Lord, for her leadership. We thank you for this ministry locally that provides uh, food and clothing and different things for those in need in our city. We pray, God, you continue to bless them, provide for them. Give Donna and her team wisdom and discernment, Lord, as they minister to those that come into their uh, facility and around this community, Lord, that you would continue to let the gospel go forth this season and for those to come to saving faith. And Lord, we rejoice and thank you so much with the relationship that we've had with Pastor Samuel and New Life in Christ Church, the Hispanic church that meets here after us and has partnered and been a part of our relationship for over 10 years now. We thank you for their ministry to the Hispanic community. We pray, God, you continue to bless them, provide for them, give them wisdom and vision as they reach out to those in their community. Continue to bless Pastor Samuel, Lord, and give him strength and wisdom as he leads that body and shepherds them well. And Lord, we thank you each week that we can pray for our brothers and sisters across this across this world. And Lord, we lift up a gentleman named David and his family who are the only believers in a small community in the Himalayas of East Asia in this community, Lord, that this week um, through the International Mission Board, we found out that they're going to have a Christmas program in their community to share the gospel, to take your truth, Lord, to this small community, those that are unbelievers up in this mountainous region. We pray for wisdom and protection and strength for David and his family as the gospel goes forth, Lord, that you would just stir hearts and convict hearts and minds, Lord, that they would have questions that David can share the faith, your faith, uh, his faith, Lord, and be able to be even possibly plant a church that they're looking to do in this area. But again, Lord, we do pray for protection. In many of these reasons, there's persecution 
and those that come against what you're trying to do. So we pray, Lord, that you would touch and bless David and his family. And Lord, we thank you for your provision. You're such a good God. We are blessed so immensely. And thank you for those that have given today, those online, and for all the resources you have provided for us, Lord. We thank you so much. Give us wisdom as leadership to use them wisely for your kingdom's sake. And lastly, Lord, we thank you for Rick. We thank you, Lord, for his shepherding heart, being one of our elders, as he's going to come to share this morning, for being willing to step in as great. He's been ill this week to share your word this morning. We pray for strength and wisdom and discernment as he comes to bring your word. Um, Lord, speak through him as we are about to receive the beauty of your word in the gospel. And we praise you, God. We thank you for who you are. And we rejoice in you this morning. God, may your kingdom come and may your will be done in all things today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kids, you're released over here with Miss Nikki. We'll go to kids' worship. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Do we have that passage there? Romans 8, 30, 28, I think, through 34. If not, that's okay, because uh, I want you to open your Bibles. Everybody got a copy of God's Word, right? Yeah. Um, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be reading verses 28 through 34. So I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me as we read God's word. By the way, before we read, uh, just real quick, tonight I want to encourage you to to be here as uh, we uh, just thank Seth. Um, He has been an encouragement to me uh, since I've been here. I don't want to, you know, he's like, what are you doing, Rick? Um, but what a blessing he's been in my life and the example that he set for this entire church. And so uh, just a reminder tonight, I hope you'll be back with us so we can honor him and uh, give thanks. Let's read. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Let's pray. Father, what glorious truths You are for us, and the reason we know you're for us is because you gave your son. You did not spare your son. And I pray, Lord, that this morning as we look at this text and its connection to this time of year and the Advent season, that we would rejoice, that we would leave here worshiping and glorifying you, our Lord and Savior. 
Lord, I don't know the hearts of the people in this room, but you do. And I pray, Lord, that the truths that we look at, these wonderful, glorious, spirit-given truths would fall on our hearts. And Lord, for maybe in some in this room who don't know you, that this would be the day of salvation. And for my brothers and sisters, that Lord, this would encourage them this Christmas season to know and love you more. And so Lord, I pray for your servant this morning that you would give me clarity as I bring the truth of your word to bear in our lives. God, speak to us, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I don't know about you, but this time of season, I love the Christmas hymns. How many of you love the Christmas hymns? Yeah, all right, good. And as I was thinking about the Christmas hymns, I, I, I was realizing that, you know, we sing like joy to the world, right? Hark the herald. Uh, these hymns that we just, every year comes around, right? And we want to sing them again and again. But sometimes when we sing them, we don't take the time to think what it actually is we're singing. Have you ever sung something, you've gone through the, the words, and, and you, you know what you're singing, but you're not really thinking about them, and then you go back and you read the words, and you meditate on them for a little bit, and you realize, oh, wow, that's what that's saying. I was thinking about that in the context of some of the Christmas hymns that insert certain lines that deal with the human condition, And as I was thinking about this, I realized, Matt, there are a lot of songs out there that speak to the human condition and the need for a Savior. One of those is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which was written in the 12th century. It's a long time ago. And uh, there's there's a stanza in that hymn that says this, O come, thou day spring on high. Day spring there is Holy Spirit. And cheer us by drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night. And death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. The author in that stanza, what he's writing is he's hinting at the struggles of life. Gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows point to the reality of sin in this world. Death was ever-present in the 12th century, and it still is. But then the author's refrain, the author's refrain is huge. Rejoice! Rejoice! Our God is with us. Our God is with us. The Advent season is a, a beautiful time for the believer because we celebrate God with us, Emmanuel. But the season, brothers and sisters, if we could just acknowledge it, is also mixed with a lot of sadness. Sadness and that things are not what they used to be. Grandparents and parents who have passed, friends who are no longer with us, and memories of how Christmas was once celebrated as a child. As I stand here, I think of grandparents in the last 10 years who have passed, grandparents who I deeply loved, a mother who has passed, friends who are now gone, friends who I are close with who left this life. And I don't know, it's a little different as I stand or sit watching my kids do the gifts and think, man, I wish fill in the blank was here. But then I'm reminded 
that one thing will never change. One thing will never change this season, and that is the celebration of Jesus Christ. God with us. And what do we do? We celebrate the giving of his son, right? Jesus Christ gifts. And as we celebrate that, we, we give gifts to each other, right? We give gifts to each other. And of all peoples, of all peoples in this world, Christians should understand the importance of giving and receiving gifts. Why? Because it is a testimony to the God's act of grace to us. He's constantly giving us, giving us grace, giving us of himself. I think about this in terms of the gifts that we often think about. I mean, I'm sure some of you young people have a list, had a list, still have a list. And you're thinking about what you want under that tree. Come on. I know some of you college students, teenagers. No, no, no. No, no. My son started his list a long time ago. Right? And as you anticipate the Christmas season, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about what? What? Is, am I going to get that, what, I, what, what I've been wanting? You know, I was, used to work in a hospital, and I, I've heard more, more than one patient say to me, you know, God gave me a gift of another day. And for someone who is sick and someone who is battling cancer, that statement is full of encouragement and hope. But eventually, those days end. Our marriages will end. Our careers will end. We will lose loved ones. All these are good gifts, but they are all temporal. Brothers and sisters, this Christmas season, my hope is to turn you to look at to that which is eternal. That is why the Advent season brings hope to a suffering world. We celebrate the gift of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one of whom Isaiah wrote, for to us a child is born. A son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Which brings me to Romans chapter 8, which is a passage that unfolds the reality of our being given such a great and glorious gift. Our passage this morning reminds us that we, you and I, belong to God because we have been given the person of Jesus Christ. And everyone in this room who loves God can be confident of this. In the midst of trials and then in the midst of the sadness at times, what all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Why? Because, here's why, here's why. Because God set his affection on you if you are in him. God set his affection on you. He chose you. It says it in the text. He says why? Because those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also, here's the word, it's a glorious word, justified. Do you know that if you're in Christ, you are right before God? Declared right. And those whom he justified? It's an interesting statement here. He also glorified. In other words, in Christ, we share in his glory because of who he is and what he's done. God calls, God justifies, he glorifies, which means what? This Christmas season, we are reminded that we are eternally secure in Christ. As one author said, this, this, this passage 
leaves some of us speechless. How do you even build on this? This is one of those verses that is amazing. Our holy, infinite, majestic God has called to himself a people, us, who were sinful and rebellious. We were at enmity with God. We were his enemies, and yet he rescued us. He delivered us from his wrath. Paul says it again in in Ephesians when he writes, In love, in love God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And in him we have redemption through his blood. The what? The forgiveness of our trespasses. And then this last prepositional phrase, which makes a difference, according to the riches of his grace. The word lavish. I used to joke, I always think lather. Lather, lavish. But I do think of it, and it might sound a little odd, I, I get it, but you're, you're standing and you're lathered up and, you, and, this, and this shower just pours out on you, right? God is pouring out. Maybe you could use, maybe you could do the ocean, right? Wave after wave crashing. He is pouring out his grace on us this morning. And it's a glorious truth. Jesus Christ makes our eternal salvation possible. And this is why we celebrate the Advent season. I want this morning just to focus on two verses, 31 and 32. And Paul in here asks three questions. The first one is this. What then shall we say to these things? Now, these things refer back to verses 28 and 30. They're the nearest antecedent. That God has, what, loved us by calling us and justifying us and glorifying us in Christ. He, you would think after he finishes that, he would just kind of stop, but he doesn't stop. He now says, what shall we say to these things? And what he's trying to do is say, look, I'm not finished here. I want to convince you that God is for you. And he asked the question, another question. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question because what he's doing is he's trying to reinforce the point he's already made. God is for us because what? He has demonstrated his love for us by calling us from death and declaring us righteous. And Paul wants to reinforce that truth. What questions would you ask maybe if your children were doubting their love, your love for them? I might ask, Do I give you good things? Do I care for you when you are sick? Do I feed you when you are hungry? Do I provide you shelter and clothing? Do I do what I can to protect you from harm? And if these things are true, do you trust me to give you good advice and good things in the future? The question serves to reinforce the point that, what? I love my children. I would ask the rhetorical questions. What the time I spent with you, the things that I buy because I I want to see your joy. I want to see you happy. Paul wants Christians to understand that no matter what kind of suffering or adversity is in this life, God is always for his people. And I get it, Here's, work with me here, I get it that in this time of season, 
we may be going through certain things and we go, I don't know if God's for me. That's, I don't want you to be in that position. I want you to, this Christmas, go, I know God's for me. Why is this so important? Well, two reasons. First of all, as Paul writes, and it's been great because we just got out of Sunday school class and we were talking about what Paul endured for the sake of the gospel. But I think there's two reasons here within the text, because Romans 8 is about the suffering that we will endure as Christians. And no one in here wants to talk about suffering, especially at Christmas. But that's the reality of the Christian life, suffering. And Paul knows two things. Paul knows that persecution will be a reality for those who are in Christ. In other words, some will be put to death because they follow Christ. Verse 36, we've got to touch on it because it's in Romans 8, right? He quotes and he says, look, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. That's not a pretty picture. It's disconcerting. It really is. We are like sheep led to the slaughter. Who is going to be slaughtering us? The world. Because it hates you. Paul had to flee for his life because of those who wanted to kill him. He was stoned, as we read this morning in Corinthians five times. He was beaten. He was in prison. And if God is for us, and if God is for us in that light, and the question is, who can be against us? What does he mean by that? Because the reality is that there are people who are against us. Do you believe that? Satan wants to destroy you. I tell my kids this, and I've told them multiple times, Satan would love to destroy you. He wants you to doubt the goodness and the love of God. He wants to doubt, he wants you to doubt that God will keep you and preserve you in the midst of suffering. Paul wants them to understand, look, God is for you, and even if they're against you, no one can be successfully against you. They may harm you. They may hurt you. They may even kill you. But ultimately, they won't be successful. Why? Because God is for us. No one can destroy God's people. No one can destroy God's people. Why? Death is our deliverance. Death is deliverance, brothers and sisters. And that's what Paul is trying to get here. Look, God is for you, even in death. But there's another reason. Paul knows that the Christian life will be one of suffering, but not just from persecution, but general suffering. What does suffering sometimes lead us to ask? I would say for me, it would lead to ask, is this God's judgment? Did I do something wrong? Does God care? Is God for me? Why would God allow this, diverse, this adversity or this pain in my life? Paul wants believers to understand that the hope of the believer is not dashed by suffering that we will endure in this life. And why do, how do we know this? Because we have to go back to Romans 8, and I want us to look at verses 18 and 19. Because when Paul, before he even gets here, he says this, 
In verses 18 and 19, the same passage, we're not going to leave Romans 8. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see what he's doing here? He's saying, look, there's suffering, but it's nothing in comparison to what is to come. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And not only the creation, verse 23, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's a whole nother sermon. But in it, what is Paul is ultimately saying is this. He's like, look, this suffering that is part of our life, we are groaning, longing for something different. I don't know about you, but as I think of the Christmas season, I keep thinking to myself, I want something more. Is the gift under the tree enough to satisfy you all year? With the same joy that you had at the moment you opened it? No. There's nothing in this life that can satisfy the needs of the heart, especially when we're dealing with our own suffering and our own pain. We try. We try. We look, to, we look to all sorts of things, pleasures and distractions and drugs, you name it. We try to distract ourselves, but there is nothing that can satisfy like Christ. And that's why Paul said, with the glory that is to be revealed, there's nothing compared. So the suffering in this present life are not worth the glory that is to come and the heartache that we experience in this life, I'm going to say, brothers and sisters, can feel so overwhelming at times. Another friend, one of my friends, I should say, last week lost his cancer. Has lost his wife to cancer. Friends of ours from long ago in California. Another friend found out this week that his wife, just found out two weeks ago, has cancer throughout her entire body. She maybe only has a week or so to live. And she's in significant pain. These are people who dearly love the Lord. When we hear of suffering or experience, we cry out what? How long? Oh, Lord, how long? You know what I say? Come, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Come again. Why? Because the baby who came over 2,000 years ago is going to come again. And it's going to redeem me from You know, the, speaking of hymns, the third verse of Joy to the World, right? Well, no more let sins and sorrows groan, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Finish it. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. Yes? <laughs> he comes to make his blessings flow, despite the curse. What's the blessings? The blessings, the gifts that are found in Christ. Christ our Lord. 
And the curse is found everywhere we look. Broken lives, broken dreams are the result of the plague of sin. But the promise is that God loves us and he's for us. How precious are those words during the Christmas season. He is for us. He is for us. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. Isn't Romans 8 great? (laughs) We just recite all kinds of stuff in Romans. It's just full of stuff there. And so here's what I'm going to say. Think about this. Whatever your context is, it's not because God, if you're in Christ, if you love Him, it's not because He is displeased with you. The loss of a job is not God's displeasure. The marital strife is not God's anger. The wayward children are not God's retribution. Our health issues are not God's judgments. Those who are in Christ are right before Him. Always. End of sentence. Where does this confidence come from? It goes back again, verse 28. Why? Because we know for those that love God, those that love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We know the goodness of God. Why? Because of His redemption that He's given to us in His Son. Which brings me to the next verse. 32. I love this verse, by the way. Look what he says. He, God, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I love this verse. This is a verse that you want to hold on to. This is it. He's arguing from the greater to the lesser. See what he's saying? He's arguing from the greater to the lesser. If he gave his only son... Will he not give you all things? And the answer is what? Yes. Now think about it for a minute. God gave his son. The hardest thing for God to do is to give his son. The hardest thing. How can we even begin to understand the love that God has for the son and the son for the father? I can't. It's a perfect love. I love my children. Some of us have sons and daughters. Some have just sons. Some have just daughters. The point is here is that the love of a father for a son is unique. But it pales in comparison to the love that God has for his only son. And yet God, what does it say? Did not, what's the next word? What? Spare him. What does spare mean? This is the idea of pouring out his judgment. His suffering. The suffering that was inflicted on Christ was immense. John Murray writes this. God did not withhold or lighten one whit of the full toll of judgment executed upon his well-beloved and only begotten son. There was no alleviation of the stroke. For it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. There was no mitigation. Judgment was dispensed upon the sun in its unrelieved intensity. God did that for us and his glory. God gave his son up for us. 
2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become, what? The righteousness of God. It's a profound reality. God gave him up. Who delivered Jesus? Oh, you can read the text. It says Pilate gave him up. It says the Jews gave him up. It says that um, Judas gave him over. We're told that Herod did. Jesus says in John 10, 17 that he gave himself up. Because what, what does he say? I laid down my life on my own accord. But ultimately, ultimately, it was the Father. In Acts, we're told it was the Father. Father, before, the, before time began, there was this, we're going to do this and accomplish this for my people. And if God was willing to give a son, <laughs> next question, then why, won't, why do you think he wouldn't give you what you need in the midst of your suffering and your pain? Why, why would you doubt that God is for you if he's willing to do the hardest thing possible by giving his son for you? You see that? If God gave his son for you, the perfect incarnate God-man, then why would we doubt he would give us everything that we need in Christ? So the question might be for you, well, what does all things mean? I don't for a minute believe it's the pleasures of this world. I don't for a minute believe that it's material, emotional, physical, psychological. I don't think those are the primary things that Paul's thinking about. And here's why. Here's why. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then what does he list? Tribulation. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Based on this verse, Paul is saying that the Christians will endure suffering, hunger, and even physical death by the sword. So, therefore, all things doesn't mean that he will give us a life free of pain and heartache. It doesn't mean we won't suffer. To answer the question, we have to understand the context of Romans 8. Romans 8 is all about the glorious realities of being in and belonging to Christ. All things include those things that are found in him. All things include those things that are found in Christ. And if we go through, we could list them, a handful of things here. First of all, verse 2, we are set free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So all the things that we have in Christ in this case are what? We're no longer in bondage to the law. Verse 16 and 17, we are children of God in Fellow heirs with Christ. It tells us here the spirit, that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? Children of God and of children then heirs. Heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. We have verse 26. We possess the Holy Spirit. This is part of the all things. We have possessed... The Holy Spirit, Him who dwells within us to help us in our weaknesses. I don't know what your weaknesses are. I know what mine are. Many times, I'm just pleading, God, I need your grace. Help me. 
me, Holy Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Verse 26, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Ephesians 1, 3, I'm going to jump out, right? I said I wouldn't, but Ephesians can't help it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in, in who? In Christ. Every spiritual blessing that is found in Christ. That's what God has done for us. That's what he's done. All these things are pertaining to the spiritual life that we have in Christ. (laughs) Everything you have in Christ is eternal. You believe that? You, you You have eternal freedom. You have an eternal inheritance. You have an eternal salvation. You have an eternal life. All in Christ. You want to trade the things of this world for that? Why then are we pursuing that? Why are we pursuing the world when we have everything we need in Christ? This time of season can be heart deadening. I mean, here's why. Because we look at all the things and we don't look to Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are called to be this season to look to Him, look to Him, look to Him. And what do we do? We look to stuff, we look to stuff, we look to stuff. Don't do it. It will cause your affections for Christ to grow dull. So this Advent season, excuse me, let us reflect on the God who is what? Who is what? For us. The God who is what? For us. He is for us because he has given us his son, Jesus Christ. This world is temporal. It is fleeting. The brokenness of this world can't be fixed by money or material gifts or good deeds, the only thing that can restore the brokenness of our lives is the gift of salvation that is found in Jesus Christ by faith alone in Christ alone. What will we say about God this Christmas to the people around us? Will we say, God is the great giver who has given me everything I need in Christ? Is that the message? It should be. Do we think, who can be against me? You may have family members who are against you. I'm just saying. They don't want to be around you. You can tell, right? You might be the nicest, kindest person, but they know. They know what? They, they do. Oh, man. You know what they? They, they follow Christ. They don't want to be around you. And what will you say to that? It's okay. I love them. I'm willing to lay down my life for them because God is for me. And my life is wrapped up in who he is and not in what people think. He, will he not give you all things? I close with Isaiah 12, 4, verses 6. I love this. Isaiah is the Old Testament gospel. If you read Isaiah, 
again and again and again, it points to Christ. Isaiah 12, 4, 6, thinking about this is the reminder of who God is and that he's for us. And it says, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And brothers and sisters, that applies to us. Because what are we called to do this season? Make his name known, for he is And he is for us. He is for everyone in this room who knows Christ. But you've got to know Christ. If you don't know Christ, he is not for you. Here's why. To not know Christ is to know God's wrath and his judgment. Brothers and sisters, you don't want a God who is against you. You want a God who is for you. And you can know that in Christ Jesus, who has taken upon himself our debt, our sin, our shame, our guilt, and has clothed us in his righteousness and our sin imputed to him. And we are now in him, which means he is now for us. That's my prayer for you, to know Christ and to know the glories that are found in him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for this great passage, a passage that, Lord, I feel so just inadequate even now to have preached Lord, I pray that you would take what was said and that you would do with it in our lives to make us love you and to see more of you. Lord, thank you for the promises here that you are for us if we are in Christ. That, Lord, we can say, (laughs) if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And Lord, for those in Christ, you have given us all things. We have our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all the benefits that come from being in a relationship with him. Lord, help us this season. May you be glorified in all that is said and done in Christ's name.
present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time and now and forevermore amen